crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Noctegal. I'm coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel. Thank you very much for listening in. I want to talk more about Qasem Soleimani today. I gave a program last week about him. He is the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds Force. This is the expeditionary force of Iran's uh, military or the side of the military that protects and exports the Islamic Revolution. They have goals that go far beyond just the defense of the Iranian nation. And that's why this, this man, Qasem Soleimani, is everywhere across the Middle East where you see Iran's ambition, uh, where he's been in Iraq, obviously, and Syria. Uh, he's been in Afghanistan. Uh, he, he, he often is in Iran directing things from there, but he's also a battlefront commander that does make moves across the Middle East. And I gave that program last week just because I wanted to study more into him as he started to appear on different arti- in different articles more, more recently as being the mastermind behind Iran's uh, defensive or offensive posture, you should, I, I should put it. Uh, and just this week, actually, a couple of days ago, there was a a documentary that was featured on BBC Two about Qasem Soleimani and a full-length hour program. I watched that earlier on, and it goes through a lot of the history that we covered in last week's program, and it goes through it in a in a in a better way than even than I did. And so I'll leave a link for that, and you can go ahead and watch that. I do believe that this man is is a very important individual, has been an important individual for Iran over the past 30 years. And that was even, this has even been testified to in the past week. And I want to cover some of what took place in this in the past week relating to Iran, Iraq, and Jerusalem. They are intimately connected, and they have always been, or at least for the past 40 years, been intimately connected. Jerusalem has been intimately connected with the Iranian, or the Islamic takeover of Iran, in 1979, ever since Jerusalem has been a calling card for um, the revolution's uh, fighters, it has been a goal for the revolution's fighters, not just to ensure that Iran stays this Islamic state, but rather that it that the Islamic state of Iran is able to protect, protect Muslims all around the world. It doesn't have a political boundary. The, the founders of the Islamic Revolution said that. Uh, it was while it might start in Iran, it is destined to spread. And the enemy number one of the Iranian regime from the very beginning has been the state of Israel. Has been the state of Israel. And that's why, of course, we have the rhetoric coming out of Iran incessantly, it seems, about the desire to take over the Jewish state the occupying force, whatever they have, the Zionist entity, all these names that they have for it, they won't call it Israel, and to conquer Al-Quds, Jerusalem. And the events of this week really do indicate that Iran believes it is on the way to doing exactly that, 
to conquering Jerusalem. Now, whether you believe that or not, whether you believe Iran has the firepower to do that or not, whether you believe that Israel could defend itself, can defend itself against the Iranian regime, that's beside the point. The point is, events of this past week prove that Iran is now onto Jerusalem. It had uh, a massive uh, war game or, or defensive exercise. I've got to stop calling them defensive exercises because they're not, they're offensive. <laughs> Everything to do with Iran is offensive, even though it might say it's defending. They had a, a large offensive exercise, their largest ever drone exercise on Thursday this week. And this this drone exercise invo- involved, I think, about 50 drones. They traveled over 620 miles. These were Iranian-made drones. And I'm not just talking about a little you know, toy drone that takes pictures. These, these are drones that, that um, can do reconnaissance, but they also are offensive weapons. They're meant, they're attack vehicles. They traveled over 600 kilometers and they hit their intended target somewhere in Iran's uh, territorial waters in the Persian Gulf. Um, it doesn't, didn't really say what they hit the targets with. Um, but this, this type of drone that was used in this exercise uh, was, this t- uh, was a copy of the drone that, was, that went down in, in Iran back in 2011. This was brought down into Iranian territory. At the time, President Obama asked the Iranians to, to give, it, have, give it back. Uh, they said they wouldn't give it back. And so the, the decision was made um, wrongfully uh, by the administration to not try and retrieve this drone and not trying to even destroy the drone because it could be seen as an act of war. That's what the Obama administration says. So they asked for it back. And here we are eight years later, and they have replicated that American piece, piece of sophisticated American hardware and are now using it. And this is the same style of drone that we saw last year, back in February, that actually flew from Syria, from the T-4 airbase that the Iranians control inside Syria, that flew into Israel, Israeli territory. And that an Israeli um, uh, helicopter pilot took out. And then as part of Israel's uh, retribution for that, they took out the T-4 base, uh, much of the Iranian assets inside Syria there. And then uh, an Israeli jet was actually shot out of the sky. Um, though those two pilots that were in there ejected and they're safe. Um, this, this was all caused by a drone with technology that was, that was copied from the one that fell into Iran back in 2011. Well, here we are this week, this Thursday, and they're conducting this massive drone. We're going to have an article up uh, very shortly about this, this ex- offensive exercise of Iran. Now, this isn't just your regular Iranian um, military exercise. This is different. And it's different, and we can tell why it's different. The timing of it is what's important, and the name of it as well. This was aptly named Toward Jerusalem. Toward Jerusalem 1. That's the name of this exercise. Now, this is very important if you look at the events that have taken place uh, going back to last weekend. Now, while I wrote, uh, while I, I spoke about Qasem Soleimani last week and the Iranian regime and what he's done for the Iranian regime, um, I didn't really include probably some of the most important elements. And they are how Qasem Soleimani has been used by the Iranian regime to take 
over Iraq. Now, no one's really reporting that Iran has taken over Iraq. But events again this past week prove that Iran believes it has taken over Iraq. And we did have, and we reported on this on Watch Jerusalem and also our sister site, thetrumpet.com, quite heavily, and, and I'll be writing an article about this program that I'm giving right now up for the next Trumpet Print magazine. Um, but they, as we, as we mentioned, there was a high-level delegation from Iran that had a series of meetings in Baghdad over the past weekend, and this was Javad Zarif, the foreign minister, came first. Then after that, we had with the, the president of Iran, Hassan Rouhani, uh, he came, and then he met with the prime minister and president of Iraq. He met with a bunch of different lawmakers. He also met with the Ayatollah Sistani, the one of the, the leaders or the leader of, of, of the Shiites inside Iraq. And this is a very important meeting to take place because it kind of it gives the official religious okay to Iran's presence in Iraq. Even a lot of the time, it has been that Iraq's uh, Shiites were worried of an Iranian takeover in the post-Saddam Hussein era, but now it doesn't look like they are super concerned by it. It wasn't a pledge of allegiance to the Ayatollah, but it was seen as the fact that Iraq now and Iran are on the same team. And they're on the same team at the expense of the United States. Now, this is what Iran has wanted from the very beginning. An Iraq that was free from Western influence. That's what they wanted in their own country. And that's what they wanted in the post-Saddam Hussein era. They initially, led by Qasem Soleimani, as this BBC documentary brings out, and as I covered last week, in those initial phases after Saddam Hussein was destroyed and, and taken out, and the Iraq, Iraq, uh, United States military was there inside Iraq. You had this, um, you had Qasem Soleimani and his men, or Qasem Soleimani and his men, and the Shiites inside Iraq that were shipped back to Iraq from Iran because they were actually exiled to Iran by, uh, by Saddam Hussein. Now, those Iraqi Shiites came back and they formed some Shiite militias and they fought with the United States initially at the very beginning to try and bring the demise of the Sunni regime of, of Saddam Hussein. For without Saddam Hussein, we would have the, the Shiite majority in Iraq could then rule eventually. And so we have had this long war that's gone on since 2003 in Iraq. While we might not think about it as one war, uh, it has been that. It has the fight against the Islamic State the fight against Saddam Hussein, the fight in between that against what Iran was doing through its Shiite mercenaries and, and proxies uh, against the United States and, and other coalition troops in uh, between the Islamic State and Saddam Hussein's period, um, that was all part of this long war by Iran to conquer Iraq. To conquer Iraq. And this conquering of Iraq has taken place Iran believes it has taken place as of this past weekend. Again, you had the symbolic, highly symbolic visit. This was the first visit that Rouhani actually has made, the president of, of, of Iraq has made, uh, ever since coming into office in 2013. And here we are six years after that, and now he finally makes his visit. Why? Again, because the circumstances have changed. 
uh, Abadi is gone. Abadi was somebody that uh, the prime minister was somebody that was straddling the fence as best he could, it seems. Uh, most of the time between Iranian influence and American influence. But as I reported last week, America, American influence is on the way out. There was another article that was written this week about this. This is in the Washington Times, Thursday, March 14th, the same day as these exercises took place. Iranian-backed militias work to drive United States from Iraq. It's only a matter of time before Iraqi for, uh, the United States is out of Iraq. And whether they stay there for a little bit or not, whether they keep their 5,000 forces there for a little bit or not, again, Iran thinks that Iraq is conquered. So you had this meeting and a lot of business deals were signed between Iraq and Iran, which is, is virtually going to give Iran access to Iraq's economy while the United States tries to sideline the Iranian regime, take away its funds so it can't export terrorism across the Middle East and the world. Well, Iraq seems that, and you know, Iraq is in a difficult position. I'm not saying that it would be easy for Iraq to sideline Iranian influence, given that they, they share... Um, a massive border with the Iranian nation and that you've got Iran's huge population, um, there would be probably some compromise that would have to be worked out. Yet it doesn't look like uh, Iraq is too worried about what the United States is going to say after this meeting, after these meetings of this past weekend. Now, the other event taking place inside Iraq while uh, Rouhani was preparing to fly over. So this took place on last Sunday, just as I was giving this this um, <laughs> this uh, little sp uh, uh, program on Qasem Soleimani. I didn't even know this, but Qasem Soleimani was in Iran receiving a very special military award. And he was receiving this from the Ayatollah himself. Now, this award was the Order of Zelfakhar. This is the highest military honor inside the country that the Ayatollah can give, the highest military honor. Not one of these uh, medals of this order has been given in Iran for the past 40 years. Ever since the Iranian Revolution took place, there were some that were given out by the Shah, but the Ayatollah has not seen fit to award anyone this award. Now, who does he award it to? He gives it to Qasem Soleimani. When does he award it to him? He awards it to him just as this high-level delegation for the first time is visiting Iraq. Why does he award it to him? To show and recognize the fact that Iraq has fallen to the revolution and that the man that is most responsible for that is Qasem Soleimani. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that Iran believes that uh, Iraq has fallen to them? Well, it's important because of what comes next. Now, we don't have to uh, wonder what comes next. Uh, Iraq, Iran often says what comes next. And they decided to name their first military drill by the IRGC after this awarding of this medal of, of the Order of Zelfakhar to uh, Qasem Soleimani. They, they called it Towards Jerusalem 1. Jerusalem's next. Jerusalem is after Iraq. 
And it was always going to be that way. It always had to be that way. And they said that from the very beginning of the Iranian revolution, that first it's Iraq, then it's Jerusalem. And that's what they named their first offensive drill following the taking of Iraq this past weekend toward Jerusalem. I do want to quote from a book at length. It is Vanguard of the Imam. I mentioned it last week, and I've just been perusing through here, just really trying to um, get into some of this history of the Iranian revolution and see what some of its goals are and see what the goals of Qasem Soleimani are. And I was really surprised. Obviously, I, I've, I've heard the, the rhetoric of, of Iran um, uh, and its desire to you know, remove the Zionist entity, wipe off Israel from the map, all that type of thing. I know about the Jerusalem Day celebrations, if we can call them celebrations, every single year. Um, I've been covering this for, about, I guess, about a decade now. But I didn't know the, the, some of the very um, beginnings of the revolution in terms of how Jerusalem was motivating even the war in Iraq. Now, we, we need to go back to the war in Iraq, and I'm not talking about the American invasion in Iraq. I'm talking about the Iran-Iraq war back in the 80s that saw over a million a million Iranians die. Qasem Soleimani was there for that fight. He was a young man, 23, 24, uh, probably 24 when he entered that fight and started out as a water boy, as I covered last class, and ended up being a regional military commander for the IRGC. And then it was after that that he would um, be the leader um, of their Jerusalem army back in 19... At the end of 1997, he was made the head of the Quds Force. But again, why is it called Quds Force? Why is it called Jerusalem? Because that's the goal of this army. That's the goal of Qasem Soleimani. All these other nations and battlefronts that he is a part of is, are all serving a purpose toward that goal of Jerusalem. And so I'm reading this book, Vanguard of the Imam, and I'm going to quote um, at length from it. It's written by Ash, uh, Afshan Ostavar. I keep on butchering his name. I apologize uh, about that. But he's done some tremendous research uh, in this book discussing the goals of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps and specifically even the Quds Force. Now, he's got a subheading under this chapter six, I believe it is, Exporting the Revolution. It's entitled Onward, Toward, Onward to Jerusalem. Interesting, right? Onward to Jerusalem. That's basically the name of this military uh, offensive um, uh, military exercise this week by Iran. He says this. Before Iran's counter-invasion in 1982, this is talking about during the, the um, Iran-Iraq war, it says this, before Iran's counter-invasion in 1982, the guards called for the establishment of a multinational Muslim force to liberate the holy city. The idea of a Jerusalem army arose from a meeting of foreign Islamic organizations in Iran in 1981. And this is how the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps announced it. They have a newspaper, I guess, or a magazine that comes out once a month. And so a lot of these quotes are directly from the Quds Force, uh, their newspaper, or the IRGC's newspaper, they said this back in at the end of 1981. Now, the Iranian nation eagerly awaits the establishment of the Jerusalem army. This is what 
Qasem Soleimani now leads, this Jerusalem army. But this was predates him by about 17 years in terms of when he was the head of it. The authorities of the revolution, and especially the foreign ministry, desire that this problem will be placed at the front of our problems so that, as Ayatollah Montazeri, he's one of the leaders uh, of the revolution, once said, we are going to dear Jerusalem and from there we will liberate the countryside from the arrogant criminals. And if the Islamic Republic through radio and television propagates the establishment of the Jerusalem army throughout the Islamic world, in spite of the Zionist plots, million of, millions of Muslims will be ready to liberate Jerusalem. And so this was a going to be for Iran a great big unifier. They saw it as a as a a cause to unify the Muslim world because the other holy sites in Mecca and Medina and those sites uh inside Iraq they were at least uh, this well almost the ones at Iraq were were controlled by Muslims at least Muslims be they be their Sunni or, uh, or Shiite and they saw Jerusalem as this liberating force. Then it says this. This is just um, Ostevar now from his book, Vanguard of the Imam. Referencing Ayatollah Montezeri's calls for the export, exporting the revolution, the IRGC claimed that the liberation of Jerusalem was its task before all tasks. However, the IRGC's assault on the Zionist forces occupying that holy city had been blocked by the Iraqi invasion. The IRGC argued that the greater victory of delivering Jerusalem from Iraqi occupation could be achieved only after the lesser victory of defeating Saddam Hussein. Did you get that? That Jerusalem is the goal. Jerusalem's the target. But we have to get Iraq first. We have to make sure Iraq is taken over, that Saddam Hussein is removed, and that we control Iraq. Then Ostevar continues this way. He says the underlying conservatism of Mohsen Reza and Iran's Supreme Defense Council is evident in the priority given to the Iraq war in the greater quest for Jerusalem. For only after the war with Iraq was won could Iran advance on to Israel. That's what they were thinking. Back in 1982, that is some of the justification and the way that they inspired some of their fighters for the Iran-Iraq war against Saddam Hussein. It was all about Jerusalem. And they said, yes, Jerusalem's the goal, but we can't do that. We can't go toward Jerusalem until Iraq is conquered. And this week, again, we have the military drill (laughs) toward Jerusalem because they believe that Iraq is conquered. Now, further on in his book, uh, Ostevar has this subhead. In the same same chapter, it's entitled Warriors of Karbala. And this is a place where there are many Shiite shrines. It's in Iraq. And so they did, of the boys, wanted to liberate these from um, Saddam Hussein. And this was one of their goals, was to liberate these sites. And these are very important to the Shiites. They go, they're important all the way back, um, going back, I guess, to about the 700s, um, or end of the 600s, just after Muhammad. Uh, And so they wanted to take over these areas first and then go on to Jerusalem second. Now, intertwined, as he writes here, with the calls for the liberation of Jerusalem, the Kabbalah metaphor infused even more religious symbolism into the discourse, fueling the Iraqi conflict. And so this wasn't just 
Iraq against Iran anymore. This was about liberating Iraq, Iraq's holy sites, the Shiite holy sites from the Iraqi uh, uh, Saddam Hussein, the leader of Iraq. In this scheme, he writes, Saddam Hussein's secular Ba'athist regime became seen as an obstacle in Iran's Islamic quest for emancipating Palestine from Zionist control. Kabbalah was more than a metaphor for engaging with Iraq. Its liberation was also something the IRGC believed could be achieved. As the popular wartime slogan said, quote, the path to Jerusalem runs through Kabbalah. And when it says Kabbalah there, I just want you to think Iraq. Iraq. The road to Jerusalem runs through Iraq. Runs through taking over Iraq so they can protect these holy sites from Saddam Hussein. And then the Americans, we could put it. He writes, Kabbalah was considered both a destination and a way station in the Islamic revolution's drive against imperialism and Zionism. Visual imagery played an important role, Ostevar writes, in conveying these themes to rank-and-file guardsmen. For example, the cover of the December 1981 issue of of the IRGC magazine depicts the quest for Jerusalem and the slogan, The Path to Jerusalem Runs Through Karbala. The image shows a political map of the Middle East with Iran on one on the right side, Iraq in the middle, and Israel on the left. Within Iran is a small photo, a photograph of a convoy of a Toyota pickup transport group uh, transporting groups of guardsmen. Emanating from the guardsmen is a bold rainbow-colored arrow that stretches through Karbala, or this point in Iraq, a point on the arrow difficult to discern in the copy, and then across Iraq and Jordan to Israel. The point terminates at a Star of David, within which sits a picture of Jerusalem's Dome of the Rock. Beneath the point in the arrow designating Karbala and upon Iraq is the phrase, the path to Jerusalem, or the path of Jerusalem in Arabic. And it's got a picture here of this in the book. That's what they were saying. That's what I was saying back in 1981. At the end of the year, they've got this image here of this Middle East, and this Shiite crescent, basically. I know it's been a little bit different now. I mean, they've got it going through um, Iraq and then through Jordan uh, into Israel. But Jordan seems like that it's it won't be able to, um, well, it's definitely not going to go away, go along with Iran. Bible prophecy says that it's not going to go along with Iran. Um, but it is moving right now into Syria, to southern Lebanon, to slightly change this, this route from 1981 in order to take over Jerusalem as they would see it. Um, but they, it still goes through Kabbalah today. It still runs through Iraq today. The Iranian regime, before it could get to Jerusalem, it had to take over Iraq. Now, of course, they weren't successful back in 1988, I think, is when the, the, this war between Iraq and Iran ended. And they weren't victorious over Iraq back then. Um, but they still did use this type of imagery, the IRGC. It still was very much understood that Iraq needed to be conquered first. Yeah, let's use the, the time in the... Uh, in the meantime, to establish our proxies throughout the region, and they did. They really increased the the leadership and funding and, and training of Hezbollah at this time. And so they were still working. Um, but there was a little bit of a delay here in Iran's plan because they failed to win this round of the Iran-Iraq war. This is more in the book. He says this. This is after a military victory. 
in the Iran-Iraq war. While the success at four, which is where this victory took place, encouraged Iran's military leaders, the faces of these soldiers do not seem to exude confidence or hope. Talking about another picture or piece of propaganda that they put out. Rather, they seem to express a sense of concern, melancholy, or even pessimism. Kabbalah, after all, is not only a destination, it's a spiritual reality, a condition that centuries of Shiite literature, poetry, and imagery suggest is one of divine intoxication. And if Kabbalah is still waiting, it's because these guardsmen have not reached or attained it yet. Such a reading might conflict with the graphics designer's original intentions, but it nonetheless speaks to the general mood and tenor of the composition, a mood more reflective of Iranian society during the final years of the war. And so you have this picture where they're hopeful of taking Karbala or this part of Iraq. Um, This is during, again, or towards the end of the Iran-Iraq war. Then it writes this, this feeling of pessimism, no doubt, or melancholy evoked by this image was in some sense prophetic. The war, of course, ended in stalemate, leaving the economies and cities of both in ruin. The near goal of liberating Karbala was not achieved, and the far goal of the emancipation, of emancipating the Palestinians and the holy city of Jerusalem, was distant as ever. Now, it's just really interesting thinking about this this the imagery that was used to try and motivate the fighters of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps and the Iranian military back in this war. It was first Iraq, then Jerusalem. Now again, fighting in that war and been fighting ever since is Qasem Soleimani. And really, why wasn't any award given out of, of this this? Uh, really important order of Zalfacha. Why wasn't this highest military honor in the country ever, ever given out in the past 40 years by the Iranian leadership? Well, Iraq was never taken. Iraq wasn't conquered, hadn't been conquered in 40 years. But now it has been conquered. Now Iran controls Iraq. They believe that Iraq is in its back pocket And again, it's on to Jerusalem. And who was there fighting the whole time and now leading Iran's uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds Force, the Jerusalem Army? Qasem Soleimani. And so give him the award. Give him the award. Without without Qasem Soleimani, there's no meeting for Javad Zarif. There's no meeting for uh, Rouhani. There's no high-level delegation that's going over to Baghdad. That's not happening without the military victories of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps and its Quds Force leader, Qasem Soleimani. And so in this week, last weekend, we're going to have this very big, well-televised showcase to the world that Iraq isn't with the U.S., they're with Iran. And then the same day, we're going to award this Medal of Honor for the first time in 40 years for the general that made it possible And then later on, a couple days in the week, later in the week, we're going to have our first military exercise and to show that for 40 years, we have been trying to get to Jerusalem and we knew we had to go through Iraq, but now Iraq is taken and it's on to Jerusalem. Now, whether you believe um, they'll be successful in this or not, that is what the Iranian regime believes. If you just put together a little bit of history and look back at what they've said, look back at what the Iranian regime said. They don't hide their ambition. 
They've told us what they want to do, and they even go as far as labeling this this military exercise towards Jerusalem one, because that's what they um, believe that they're going to achieve. Now, Bible prophecy is is completely um, involved here in this in this history. Um, we've been talking about Iran leaving leading a radical Islamic empire or kingdom. The Bible talks about them leading this king of the south. This is mentioned in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. Uh, Mr. Gerald Flurry's book, King of the South, or The King of the South, details these prophecies in great, great length. And I really do want you to go and request and read that. I mean, some the very underpinning of that book is scripture, is prophecy from Daniel chapter 11 and other prophecies. But one of the, the first forecasts in that book that was made back in the early 90s was that Iraq will fall to Iran. It will happen as part of this king of the south. This nation of Iraq is going to answer to Iran, and Iran is going to be able to mobilize with greater strength when it controls Iraq and the vast oil supplies that Iraq holds. And so this prophecy, once it goes through and does conquer Iraq, then the Bible talks about it conquering other nations. And not necessarily conquering these other nations by war, but going into an alliance with these nations. Maybe not with the current leaders of them, because if you go through this prophecy, it talks to them after this point, after conquering Iraq, they're going to really try to focus more on the Red Sea passageway. The Bible talks about them controlling eventually Egypt. Right now, CC doesn't like Iran. He's the leader, the strong man of Egypt. So that's probably going to change, or he's going to have, a, have to have a, a huge mind change. Um, but we did see back in, in, in the early, in the Arab Spring, back in 2012, when Mohammed Morsi came into power. His best buddy uh, was Ahmadinejad. Ahmadinejad was invited over there. They were celebrating Mohammed Morsi's induction, the Muslim Brotherhood. Sunni doesn't matter. Shiite didn't matter. We're coming together to defend the Islamic nation. And so there was a relationship with Iran, so that could easily happen again. But that's all what the Bible talks about. This king of the south rising, taking over Iraq, increasing its presence along this Red Sea passageway, all for desire of taking Jerusalem. And if you look at their literature, the IRGC, the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guards called literature, they want to take Jerusalem and it goes through Iraq. And so again, this week, they're onwards with Jerusalem. What else are they doing? Well, uh, just yesterday, this, this is from um, uh, one of the Iranian, rev- Iranian uh, news outlets. This is entitled, Iranian Navy Sends 61st Flotilla to Bab el-Mandab Strait. Now, what's, where's this? Well, this is at the southern, uh, southern um, Red Sea. Bab el-Mandab, just a 20-mile strait uh, that is on the, on the western side. You've got Eritrea, and on the eastern side, you have Yemen. And we've talked at length about Iran's desire to control this passageway through the use and support of its proxy in northwestern Yemen, the, the Houthis. And here they are, sending their navy flotilla there, or a flotilla there. The Iranian Navy has dispatched its 61st flotilla to the Babel Mandeb Strait to safeguard maritime routes and uh, used by Iranian vessels. Commander of the Iranian Navy's Southern Fleet Rear Admiral Afshin uh, Tashk said on Sunday, 
the new chief added that the fleet, which consists of a destroyer and a logistics warship, uh, set off on Saturday for the international waters to safeguard maritime routes used by Iranian vessels, vessels, especially in the strategic strait Babel Mandab, which links the Gulf of Aden to the Red Sea. And then it talks about it having to actually have a successful operation against thwarting a pirate attack against one of the country's naval, uh, one of the country's oil tankers. This is what it's doing right now. And again, Bible prophecy is clear. It takes over Iraq, then it's on to Jerusalem. How is it going to get there? Well, it's going to try and push there through Syria and into Lebanon. Eventually, that's not going to be super successful. So they're going to go and try and control the Red Sea passageway up through Egypt. And that, again, is what we see them doing right now. This is really a good time to take stock at what the Bible said 2,500 years ago and what we've been writing for 30 years about Iran's rise as the king of the south. Because it's happening. It's happening right now. It's happening this week. Again, when, when nobody receives a Medal of Honor for 40 years and then somebody receives it, you've got to ask why. And the answer is, again, they have taken over Iraq. It's a done deal. The United States wants to pull out and it's probably going to get kicked out of Iraq by the Iraqi parliamentarians that have decided that the United States, you come and go. But Iran's going to be there for a long, long time. And so we're going to go all in with Iran. And so as the as Qassam Soleimani was probably told by the Ayatollah when he pinned this award to his chest, he probably said it's time to go on to Jerusalem. And that's what they started preparing for this week. Please go ahead and read this book. Again, it's entitled The King of the South. Wherever you are in the world, we'll send it to you for free. You can go to watchjerusalem.co.il right now and request a copy there or even read the PDF. You can do this right away and go and read that booklet alongside your Bible and understand that what we're seeing on the news this week was prophesied right there by the prophet Daniel, who was writing at the time from where? From Babylon, just close to Baghdad, from Iraq is where he was writing. But even as he said, he didn't understand a lot of what he was writing. Uh, But God did. God led him to write these things down so that at the time of the end, as it says in Daniel 11, verse 40, these things would be understood. And they are, uh, you are able to understand them today. Again, please go to watchjerusalem.co.il or click the link um, in the show notes to get yourself a free copy of The King of the South. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for making it all the way through this program if you'd like to send me some feedback please go ahead and do that by writing your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il